listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. I'm from Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, in my early teens, started going to Grace Baptist Church there, and the new pastor there at the time, uh, when I was 12 or 13 years old, was uh, Jim Hershenhan. And it was while I was there at that church, Grace Baptist in Wilmington, that I heard the gospel and um, was changed on the inside, radically transformed by, uh, by the good news of Jesus Christ. And um, then a little while later, uh, since the call to go into the ministry, it was there at that church that we had uh, the opportunity to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, visitation Tuesday night. Um, and through all of that, choir practice, we uh, developed uh, really some, some really neat family relationships. I got to know who my pastor was. I got to know who his family was. I got to know so many people, and I could call their names that were profoundly influential in my life. But that was sort of at that time in that phase of the church, uh, our form of doing life together, and it was good. Um, uh, Pastor Hershenon took me under his wing. Um, when he found out I had some sense of call to ministry, he would take me to hospitals with him. And if you've ever been in the hospital and I visit, visited you, I was just a carbon copy of Jim Hershenon making a hospital visit. Um, um, just uh, his preaching, his announcements, almost everything he did, you pick up those things intuitively when you're in these services um, all the time. He regularly preached the gospel, uh, pastored at uh, Grace Baptist for over 30 years, and um, then retired for a brief while and, and pastored again. And um, he's still preaching probably every chance he gets. I think his eyesight is not good, but um, a few weeks back, his wife passed away. And of course, I knew her. I knew Jean Hershenhan. I, uh, we, we just did life together as a church. Um, she struggled with, uh, with cancer through the years, and the family fought it. They all worked together to fight it. Uh, pastor was just very faithful and loyal to his wife, loved his, his wife like no one I've ever seen. But uh, I went to the funeral, and um, I kind of got in line, and I was going to go up and hug his neck, and, and uh, it, it, it shook him up. He's nearing 80 years old, very sharp um, man. Um, and, and so we didn't really get a chance to talk. But what I wanted to tell him was, Pastor, the gospel goes forth. The next generation have, has picked up the baton of the gospel. And they're running with it. I, I, I got the gospel that you proclaimed. And I'm doing everything that I can to share that gospel with with everybody I have opportunity to. And I know there's a generation behind me that has grabbed the gospel and they're running with the gospel. The gospel goes forth. As we talk about we are South Point, um, we want you first of all to know this was week one in this series that Christ is the center of all that we do. Jesus Christ is our life. This is not just some ritual. He is our life. In him we live and move and have our being. When Christ, who is your life, appears, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And those are not just verses we memorize. That's a reality that, that has transformed us deep in the recesses of our soul. Secondly, last week we talked about um, we are South Point and community is how we live together. And we looked at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And we looked at these things that happen in community that are actually things that God uses between us and our relationships to transform us to make us into new people, to make us like Jesus. And this morning we're in Colossians 1 again, and we're looking at verses 21 to 29. And here's what I want you to understand. Our mission is the mission of God, and the mission of God is for the world, that the gospel might go forth, that people everywhere might know Christ, might know the gospel. And Paul breaks that down for us beautifully this morning in this text. And I want to read it beginning in verse 21 of chapter 1, if you're in your Bible there. The gospel goes forth, but how does it go forth? And, and what role do we play in that? How is God using us in that? He's talked about Christ. I love verse 20. 
as he sums up who Christ is. And what they were dealing with in Colossae was a, was a Christological problem. They, they, they had false teachers saying Jesus Christ was not God. They questioned the deity of Christ. And so Paul speaks to this Colossian church in um, probably uh, 62 AD, 60 to 62 AD, if you uh, understand Roman history, Nero was really getting heated up at that time. Um, uh, I, I think of us reading Colossians 1, and um, I think of what they were going through reading it in Colossians. We cannot compare the desperation, the commitment to Christ, their understanding of their need for Christ, and the good news of the gospel and how it had radically transformed them. It would be like trying to pastor a church in Afghanistan right now. Um, and who could imagine that with the Tal- Taliban running around uh, hunting down Christians if they can find them and, and killing them? We can't relate to that, but these people in Colossae that Paul is talking to, uh, they, they, were, they were accused of, and they were probably guilty of in some way, shape, or form, disturbing the peace of Rome. And in verse 20 he says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I want to tell you this morning, there is no other way to find peace than by the blood of his cross. There's no way to find social peace. There's no way to find national peace. There's no way to find peace among nations, real peace. There's no way to find peace in your life than through the blood of his cross. There's no way to find peace among those who are uh, uh, allowing the narrative of of our culture to divide us racially. There is no way for anybody to find peace. If you're struggling in your marriage this morning and you just wish that your wife would cooperate in your your strategy or your husband would cooperate in your strategy and if you could just get them to cooperate, you would have peace. You are not going to find peace by trying to extract extract it out of something on this earth. Peace is only going to be found by the blood of his cross. But he goes into now, how is that peace going to be spread? Look at verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which he has proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And this is, the, this, is this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says in verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. The text is going to bring three things to the surface this morning. Number one, we're going to see the miracle of reconciliation. Secondly, we're going to see the ministry of proclamation. And thirdly, we're going to see the, the battle for transformation. So, uh, if you will, verses 21 to 23, the miracle of reconciliation. Let me just say before we uh, unpack what's in these verses, a few things that's in these things that are in these verses. Um, what Paul is making here is a statement of pre-existing condition that naturally results in a heart for and action toward the world that we live in. What he's, what he's saying is, is that, that this is a statement of pre-existing condition. In other words, there are people that, that existed in alienation. They have experienced reconciliation. And those who have experienced reconciliation are now necessarily going to be engaging in the ministry of proclamation and in the battle for transformation in relationship with other people. Let that sink in for just a minute. Reconciled people 
take the gospel. They proclaim the gospel to. They, they are concerned about disciples being made all over the world. This is who we are if you're in Christ. You are reconciled. And reconciled people, according to 2 Corinthians 5, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciled people are the agents of reconciliation. And so uh, let me just say at the outset, if you are not participating in the ministry of reconciliation in some way, shape, or form, there might be good reason for you to believe that you perhaps are alienated from the life of God. Because the life of God in us is going to want to connect to the life of God in other people, and we're going to be concerned about people who don't have the life of God. So let's look at the words in the text. We see, first of all, in the miracle, miracle of reconciliation, we see the alienated. The alienated. The word alienated means estranged. It's, some, it's someone who had a relationship with someone, but that relationship has been broken. It's someone that you knew, but something happened, and you have been shut out from fellowship and intimacy with that person. We know in Genesis chapter 2, God told Adam and Eve before the fall, He said, you can enjoy everything. I've provided everything for you to enjoy. You can enjoy fellowship with me. You can enjoy fellowship with the Trinity. You can enjoy all that I've created. But there's one thing you can't do. You cannot eat of this particular tree because the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. You will experience spiritual death. And we know in Genesis 3, when they partook, two things happened. Number one, Adam and Eve were alienated from each other. Their fellowship and their intimacy was broken because of the fall, as are all human relationships. And we're trying a million different ways to fix relationships apart from Christ. And apart from Christ, relationships just won't work. They can't work. But they were also alienated from the life of God. That's what we see in verses 24 and 25. They were sent out of the garden and barriers were put up to prevent them from coming back into the garden. Why? Because they were spiritually dead. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 17 just kind of gives us further insight into this concept of alienation. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their, futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. So there is this alienation that every human being that is born experiences. We know John tells us that, that, that everyone who is not in Christ is condemned already. Every one of us is born in a state of alienation because the sin of Adam was passed down to us. We are alienated from the life of God. If you are not in Christ this morning... You do not have the life of God. You can't, you can't earn the right to be in Christ. You can't earn the life that God gives. You can't earn your way to heaven. It is only found in Christ. So we see the alienated, but secondly, we see the reconciled. The reconciled. The word reconcile means to change completely. It means to bring back to a former state of harmony. It means to bring back into fellowship and intimacy. Apart from a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the indwelling Spirit, we are without the relationship and the fellowship that we were born for, that we were intended to live in, and we cannot have life without. We are dead without a relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, what's wrong in the world? What's wrong in the world is that we are alienated from the life of God. We're living in a world where we have pushed God out, where we don't have the life of Christ in us. What can make things right in the world? The, the ministry of reconciliation. That is what can make it right. How are we reconciled? 
He tells us in chapter 1 in verse 12, and this is a, a, a great verse. Listen to it. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. The Father has worked to make us qualified. How does the Father make us qualified to come into his presence, to come into his throne room, to enter into the throne of grace and into fellowship with him? He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. is through the work of Christ on our behalf that we are reconciled to God the Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we can, we can see it in, in verse 20. We can see it in verse 21. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 lays it, out, lays it out beautifully. And I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 beginning in verse number 11 because he talks about how we are reconciled to God the Father and how we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. L listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where you can turn there if you'd like. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We're concerned. We persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. We want to answer people who believe in ritual. We want to answer people who believe in performance. We want to answer people who, have, who think they're good enough because none of us is good enough because we've got a, a massive heart, a massive spiritual problem. He says in verse 13, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, that they might live for his mission, his purpose, who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He has a new heart. He has a new interior world. He's made new on the inside. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and notice this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ was, uh, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. We are agents. We have been commissioned for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sins so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is, that is reconciliation. That is how we're reconciled. We're reconciled through the work of Christ. And when we are reconciled, we are radically transformed in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, at the core of our being. And he tells us in the text that the reconciled then are holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We, we are reconciled, and because of the finished work of Christ, God is going to present us because of the finished work of Jesus is going to present us because of his finished work to the Father, and we're going to be presented as though we are holy and blameless and above reproach, not because of our performance, but because of Christ's performance. Let us wrap our brains and our arms and our lives around that. The reconciled have been qualified by the Father to share in the inheritance of the saints, verse 12. And this is not a work. He's saying this is a state of being. This is a declaration of our status. This is based on the finished work of Christ. He's not telling you to try to do these things or accomplish these, these things on your own, and therefore they prove something. He's saying that those who are reconciled will continue in this state of faith, that those who are reconciled will be steadfast, that those who are reconciled will hope in the gospel. So he couldn't make it clearer. There, there are the alienated and there are the reconciled. And those are the two classes of humanity, period. And I would ask you this morning, are you alienated from the life of God or have you been reconciled to God? 
Have you been brought back into fellowship, into relationship, into intimacy? And then, then he talks about, in the text, the agents of reconciliation. All of those who have been reconciled, all of those who were alienated and now reconciled will become agents of reconciliation, having been commissioned by God to become agents of reconciliation. That's what we're reading here in this text. Paul is telling us of his experience, but he's also told us in 2 Corinthians 5 that this is common for all reconciled people. The message of reconciliation, Paul says, must look at the text. He says it must be proclaimed everywhere. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. The message of reconciliation must be proclaimed everywhere, and every reconciled person becomes a minister, an agent, a steward, a proclaimer of reconciliation. We go to alienated people and we proclaim life to them. So are you alienated or are you reconciled? And if you're alienated this morning, you need to be reconciled. And if you're reconciled, you naturally have been transformed into an agent of reconciliation whereby now you have been commissioned to go to the alienated to proclaim good news to tell them that they are dead and that there is life in Christ alone so that they can be reconciled that's that's on us now it's on Christ it's his work. We're going to see that further in the text. But there has to be that connection if we believe the gospel. And Paul said, of this I became a minister. Uh, the word minister is where we get our word deacon. It's, where we, uh, it's the word waiter. It, it means kicking up dust. It means that, that Paul said, I'm a minister. Paul said, I, I was alienated from the life of God. Now I've been reconciled to God. And now God has given me the ministry of reconciliation, just like he's given it to you. And he said, now I'm going to be a minister. In other words, because I've been given this ministry of reconciliation, I am going to get after it in such a way with such diligence that I'm going to be kicking up dust as I go to obey the call of my master to serve him. My life is going to be kicking up dust. There is going to be energy expended. There is going there's going to be this intentionality in the way I live as I connect to other people for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of their soul, for the sake of transformation, for the sake of them being reconciled to God and them then accepting this responsibility of being a minister of reconciliation. There is this passionate, diligent, obedient servant kicking up dust as he goes into the world to bring men into relationship with Jesus Christ. So there's the miracle of reconciliation. Have, have you experienced the miracle of reconciliation? We'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like in a few minutes. But secondly, we see in the text the ministry of proclamation, verses 24 to 28. Let me, let me read it again. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God faithfully known. So you see this connection between Paul and the Colossians. By the way, there are people that he's never really met, but he knows a guy named Epaphras, and Epaphras got these connections, and Epaphras received the ministry of reconciliation while Paul was in Ephesus pastoring there uh, from 53 to 56 AD. He was there for a couple of years. And so Epaphras obviously got saved. And Epaphras now takes the gospel back to Colossae and shares there. And a church starts. And Paul has never laid his eyes on the people here. Why? Because we have this example of this faithful minister who says, I've been given this ministry of reconciliation. And so I'm going to go back to my hometown and I'm going to share the gospel with people, with people there. He said, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm not exactly sure what Paul was talking about in all of that. Um, 
I'm not sure about a lot of things, but he's telling us that the hope of glory is the living Christ coming and taking residence inside of those who he redeems, who he reconciles. And, and here's what I think happened to Paul, and I'm, I'm going to conjecture for a minute. I, I believe, first of all, Paul's heart was transformed by the gospel, number one. But number, number two, I believe Paul was probably one of the foremost Old Testament theologians that you would have ever met. And Paul studied the Old Testament, and Paul hated the church. But in Acts 9, on the road to Damascus, his heart was changed. And when his heart was changed, Paul looked at the Old Testament, and he looked at Christ, and he said, everything in the Old Testament that I really didn't understand, that I thought was about performance, that I thought was about ritual, that I thought was about me trying harder and being better, I recognize now that it's not calling me to work, but it's showing me that I can't work to save myself. And every bit of it in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ. And when Paul saw that, he said, everything in this is true. The, the Word of God is true. And his heart was transformed by the power of the Spirit, and his mind was transformed when he understood what all of Scripture did. It points to Christ. And so Paul said, man, I'm going to give my life for this. I'm going to lay down my life for this. I'm going to put... Everything, I'm, I'm going and I'm getting all of my stocks and I'm, I'm taking all of my schedule and all of my time and all of my money and all of my resources and I'm investing in this. I'm giving it all to this. And so here's a guy who says, I'm going all over the world and he walks everywhere he goes to take good news. Why? Because Christ was in him, but he knew that everything that he had given his life to previously and gotten it wrong pointed to who Christ was. So, so what do we see in this ministry of, of proclamation? There, there are a couple of things. Number one, we see this, this costly compulsion. Paul says some weird stuff. He says some weird stuff, right? He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, in my flesh, in my body, literally what's going on in me physically because I'm suffering as he sits there in prison for the sake of the gospel. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. The, the word, the word uh, sufferings there is, is, is a, a, a word that relates to passion. And, and he's saying, I have this passion. My passion for Christ, my passion for you people is so great that I'm willing to do something at great peril or cost to myself to satisfy this longing that's deep in my soul. My, my desire for you is so great that I am willing to suffer, he says. It's sacrifice that results in painful loss. But when he feels the pain and he understands why he did it, he says it was worth it. So he says, I rejoice. I rejoice in everything that I give up. I rejoice in every, every ounce of suffering I experienced. I rejo rejoice in everything that I've given that I might see others come to know Christ and be mature in, in Christ. The value of Christ and his mission is more valuable than anything I might lose when engaging in it. Let me say that again. The value of Christ and his, and his mission is more valuable than anything I might lose when engaging in it. He, he was so consumed with Christ that he was willing to give up everything for the mission of Christ and we can't disconnect it from the people at Colossae. Because he keeps saying, for your sake, for the sake of his body, the church, that was given to me for you. Paul saying everything that I have received and everything that has happened in my life is not just for me to go sit in my recliner with, with my Bible and read it and say, thank you God for what you've done for me. But everything that he has done for me and he is doing through me is for the people at Colossae. It's for other people who are either alienated or who have been reconciled and who need to be matured in Christ. Or it's for people around the world that we don't even know. He keeps saying over and over again, this gospel is going around the world. So he's suffering, but secondly, he is serving. 
This is the costly compulsion of suffering and serving. He says, of which again I became a minister, a deacon, a servant, a humble, obligated, not, not, not voluntary, but, but this, this obligation that I have, this joyful obedience that emanates out of my essence, out of my identity. I'm rejoicing in my suffering, of which I became a minister, a servant. Stirring up the dust according to the stewardship that was from God. God says, you're an agent. Now go live out of that commission as an agent that he's given you to go connect with other people, to connect good news to other people, to engage in other people's lives to ensure their maturity in Christ. So there is this, this costly compulsion, but, but there is this specific assignment. He says, according to the stewardship of God. The word stewardship means administration. It means supervision. It means you are an agent. In other words, God is saying to Paul, Hey, Paul, I have done these things to you and through you, and now I am giving you this assignment. I am putting you in charge of this ministry of reconciliation. And again, we can go to 2 Corinthians 5 and come to this conclusion that everybody who is a believer has that responsibility. Everybody who is a believer has that assignment. Everybody who is a believer has within them the capacity by the grace of God to be an agent of reconciliation, of bringing others to maturity. God has sovereignly designed and designated the reconciled as, as the specific means of getting his truth to humanity. He has determined, He has equipped us, He has given us the very specific assignment of arranging our lives and our time and our resources and our relationship around being agents of, proclaimers of, and facilitators of reconciliation. That's what we do. That's who we are. For the once alienated and the now reconciled, there is no way around your responsibility, the call of God on your life to be an agent of reconciliation. We also see in the text the people. Again, he says, given to me for you. People in our scope of influence and literally people everywhere. He says in chapter 1 verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you and is indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. What the gospel is doing among you needs to spread forth from you and me around the world. He says the same thing in verse 20. He says the same thing in verse 23. He says the same thing in verse 28. In chapter 4, in verse number 2, listen to what Paul says. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door to us, open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. We should all be longing for an open door as we go through our day to share good news, to connect in relationship with other people because we are agents of reconciliation. I love when you come to Colossians chapter 4 that Paul tells us about Epaphras. I already told you about Epaphras. Saved in Ephesus, goes back home to Colossae, starts the church there. Notice what Paul says. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Here's, here's a guy who has assumed responsibility for the soul's of those that he is connected to, and he's willing to get his hands dirty. He's willing to give his energy to the point of exhaustion. And he doesn't say, if I have time, I'll do it. And if I don't, I won't. If I feel like it, I'll do it. And if I don't, I won't. If I got a chance to make money, or invest in other people, guess what the culture says? Make the money, bro. Go for the gold. When the gold is in the soul, that's where the gold is. The world's going to say you're stupid for turning down your riches so that you can invest in the lives of others. Paul, Paul is saying, here's Epaphras, and Epaphras struggling on your behalf. He, he goes on to... to 
Tell us about our, our Chippus. Look at chapter 4, verse 17. And Paul is not mincing any words. He said, he said say to Archippus, you're cool, bro. It's okay. No, he's saying, Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And this is a relational ministry. This is a relational ministry. Be involved in other people's lives. And, and what's the purpose of that? He, he tells us in the text. What, what, what is this ministry of proclamation? Go back to um, Colossians chapter 1 again. This, this, this ministry that, of proclamation that we're involved in is to make the Word of God fully known. The thing that convinced Paul and compelled him to give his life for the sake of the gospel is that he saw Christ throughout the Word of God. And so I want to take the Scriptures and I want to show people Christ in His Word. I want to show people life in Christ in His Word. I want to take the Word of God and I want to invite people to be reconciled to God. I want to take the Word of God and I want to invite people into intimacy with God. I want to invite them into fellowship with God and the Son and the Spirit. And so Paul says, I want to make the Word of God fully known to them. I want, I want to make this mystery that was once hidden now revealed that Christ is where life is found. I want to make this known to the Gentiles. I don't want to just make it known to the Jews. I listen, I want to make it known to the world. I don't want to just make it known to a, a, a few people on a strip of land a little bit larger than the size of the state of New Jersey. No, this is for the world. He wants to go and proclaim that Christ is living in His people and Christ living in His people is the hope of glory. I don't know what you're taking and stuffing down inside of yourself. I don't know what you think is life for you. But life is only found in Christ. That, that is, that is and, and so he's saying, here it is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, and and let, let it sink in. He said, therefore, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. So, so we're not manipulating people. We're not playing games. We're not trying to build a mega church. We're not trying to enter, entertain people. We're not trying to give people what they want. We're not even trying to make people feel better. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. Is that you? Is that me? Is that us? Is that South Point? Let light, for God has said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts at the core of our being to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We want people to see Christ. We won't see people to see Christ in us because Christ, in, Christ is in us. And in fact, here's what, here's, listen to what he says next. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing, of, surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The jars of clay, look it up. It's a clay pot. It's literally a, a, a bedpan is what he's saying. I've taken the treasure and I've put it in you and apart from Christ all the other stuff you've been putting in you to try to get life out of is like being a, a bedpan that is filled with the refuse and waste of this world. And you were, you were born, you were created for Christ to be alive in you and in me. He said, he said we, are afflicted in, in, we, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Christ may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being given, given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also 
may be maintained in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul is saying, I am willing to die that you might live. That's reconciled. And now I can't see my words. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. As those of us who have been reconciled go to those who are alienated and Christ in us proclaims to them, Christ in them, that they might be reconciled to God, then thanksgiving is increased. Thanksgiving glory is increased to God the Father as a result of the ministry of reconciliation. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal it is Christ, it is Christ in you. No, you, don't you know that your body is the temple of the living God? It is Christ in you, it is Christ in me, it is his power in you and me. And he says, him we proclaim, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we see the miracle of reconciliation and we see the ministry of proclamation. But thirdly, we see the battle for transformation. If you will, go back to Colossians chapter 1 again. Look at verse 28. He said, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works in me. The, the battle for transformation, first of all, it is inclusive and not exclusive. Everyone. Everyone. We don't want to be an exclusive group. I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to get in your life group and, and your life group be a clique. That's, that's, that's exclusive. I don't, I don't want you to hang out with people who have the same job. That You know, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying a lot of times we gravitate toward things that have nothing to do with what's taking place in our heart. And, and I'm, just, I'm just saying this morning, we need to have a heart for the world and we need to have a heart for people that aren't like us. We need to have a heart for people that may not be on our same socioeconomic level. We need to have a heart for people that may not have the same educational training, that may not know all of the theological words. And, and, and we, we need to have a heart for everyone. And Paul said, I, I, I don't have any, I'm not a, a respecter of persons. I'm proclaiming Christ to everyone. I have a heart for everyone. I'm, I'm constantly looking, head on a swivel, looking is is there somewhere that God is working that I can join him in communicating good news to these people, the message of reconciliation? And once they then believe the message of reconciliation, now I've got to get involved in this battle for their transformation. So it's inclusive, not exclusive. And if you find yourself hanging around the same people all the time, that might be a clue, something might be wrong. Secondly, our goal is their maturity. Our responsibility is their maturity. We can start here, but it, it really starts there. And it will spread like fire ants in Georgia or kudzu. It's supposed to spread like kudzu. It's, it's, it's supposed to be like wildfire. It goes to, to everyone, and it's the maturity of everyone, and we want to continue to see people mature in Christ. Our goal is their maturity. Our, our methods are specific, he tells us in the text. Warning. The word warning means admonishing. Some would say the word warning means counseling. It's the same thing in Colossians 3.16, admonishing. 
In community, we are admonishing one another. Admonishing or warning is, is, is communication to individuals and small groups of people that you, you have a relationship with. The, the, the word warning means to appeal to a person's mind, to their heart, to their, to their interior world. It doesn't mean I'm going to get on a megaphone. I'm not against getting on a megaphone and standing on a corner somewhere down in McDonough and just proclaiming warnings to people. It means I'm in a relationship with someone and I'm one-on-one kind of knee-to-knee, eyeball-to-eyeball in this relationship where I'm walking with them and I am admonishing them and I'm challenging their thinking and their reasoning and I'm speaking to their mind and their, their heart. So there is this warning that's taking place and there is this teaching that's taking place. The word teaching means to cause someone to learn, but not just to learn facts, to not just grasp data, to not just memorize words, but they're learning according to the text in wisdom. In other words, they're learning what Scripture says and how it applies to their heart, to their relationships, to their values, to how they live their life practically. That's, that's impossible apart from relationship with community. And, and then he says, this is, this is really hard work. This is really hard work. It's not glorious work. It will not be rewarded or respected. The world is not going to be like, oh, you're amazing. As a Christian, the world, in your workplace, they're not going to respect you for your faith. They're not going to respect you for your desire to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I've heard it all, okay? Um, well, you've never worked a real job, you know? Or, well, you just work an hour a week. The, as though, if I'm not nailing a shingle on a roof, that it's not important, as important as soul work of rolling up your sleeves and getting into trenches and walking with people and loving people. Um, and and I'm, I'm telling you, that's just not a preacher's job. That's the job of the reconciled. And that's a concern that we should have for people everywhere. It's hard work. Paul, Paul said, I'm toiling. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I'm empty. I've poured myself out. And, and I can't call a timeout. And I can't say I quit. And I can't say I take a break. And I can't say I'm just going to put it out of my mind. And I can't say it's 5 o'clock, shut it down. We can't do that. We can't do that. He said, he said I'm... I'm, I'm toiling to the, to the point of just absolute fatigue. I'm working to the point of exhaustion. And he said, I'm struggling. The word struggle means to agonize. The word struggle means you're, you're, you're running and you want to finish, but you're exhausted and you're sucking wind and your, your muscles ache and you just want to break. And he's like, no, I'm struggling. Folks, if we hit a little bit of resistance, if the wind blows five miles an hour in our, our face, we stop. And he's like, no. I'm toiling in these relationships. I'm toiling with these people. I'm toiling to get the gospel to the world. I'm toiling to see men and women mature in Christ. I'm battling. I'm battling. I'm at war with these people for their soul. And there is no easy way. There is no convenient way. There is no comfortable way to do this, Paul is saying. This is difficult work. But watch this. Paul said, this is so difficult that I can't do it in my own strength. That's what he said. That's what he said. But, but don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is so hard, and I can't do it in my own strength, but I have the strength of Christ, and it's still hard. 
I have his strength and I'm still toiling. I have his strength and I'm still struggling. The strength of Christ doesn't make it easy, it makes it possible. Again, this is, this is in connection to people. I need a strength that is not my own. If I rely on my strength, I won't get it done. But even with his strength, it's extremely difficult. The battle for transformation, hear me carefully. The battle for transformation is for people who have been chosen. I'm not getting into the doctrine of election. I'm not getting into chosen in him before the foundation of the world. But, but please hear me carefully. The, the battle for transformation is for people who have been chosen, not for people who make choices. Can I be, can I be honest with you? I believe a large part of the church is unredeemed because we make choices. We don't believe that we're chosen. I believe that many of us are alienated from the life of God because when we have been reconciled to God, there is this sense of I have been chosen for a task and I'm going to lay my life down for it. But when there is this sense of, ah, a little resistance is tough, I quit. I quit. Throw in the towel. People don't like me. People are complaining. I'm old. <laughs> it's overwhelming. No. This, this, this battle for transformation is for people who have been chosen, not for people who make choices. It's not about you and your personal walk. It's about you and the body of Christ. It's about you and me and the world. And it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be optional. And it's going to cost you everything. But when we understand alienation and reconciliation, we give up everything. And everything is a small price to pay to gain Christ. Because when we gain Christ, we gain the fellowship that our soul longs for. When we gain Christ, we gain the intimacy that our soul longs for. When we gain Christ, we gain the family that our soul longs for. When we gain Christ, we have His ministry and we have His power and we have His energy working in us. And then we are compelled to toil and to struggle relationally with other people so that we can take the Christ who is formed in us and see Him formed in them. Let me just give you some concluding thoughts and some ways we can apply this. Number one, the, the call to be the church is a call to live a life of holy and divine disruption. The call to be the church is to, the call to live a holy and divine disruption. God didn't save you to make your life easy. God saved you to rock your world. He saved you to disrupt everything that's going on in your soul that is inconsistent with who he wants you to be and what he wants to do in you. Secondly, the call to be the church is a call to give all that you have and work yourself to exhaustion. I'm not telling you to work out of your energy, and I'm not telling you just to, to work to do busy church work. I'm just telling you that when you are in Christ, there's not a switch to flip it off. And we don't always know what that call is going to be to. Thirdly, the call to be the church is a call to see and save the world. I know that sounds really weird. But the call to be the church is to see and save the world. The call to be the church is not to say, I'm saved and they can go to hell. <laughs> the call to be the church is to see and save the world. That's what it means to have the ministry of reconciliation, to say, okay, is this dude alienated? Is this dude reconciled? Is this dude mature? I've got to, I've got to figure out where I plug in to this relationship because the call to be the church is to look at the world in a completely different way, to look at people in a completely different way, and then to say, I'm not only called to see them, but I'm called to engage them. 
I'm called to enter into their lives. And then the call to be the church is, is the call to hear the music of eternity. To hear the music of eternity. Folks, all we hear is the music of this world. <laughs> and people got louder speakers than they used to have when I was growing up. And I hear the music. They're lyrics of death. The world's songs are songs of death. And we need to hear the music of eternity. We need to hear the invitation to the party. We need to hear the invitation to the dance with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Reconciliation means that we are invited into the fellowship of the Trinity. And that's where the music is the loudest and the best. And that's where the dance moves are absolutely amazing. I shared this story in DNA. When uh, Michael got married, um, Bobby and Barbara forked out several thousand dollars so that we could ride around in the bay for a couple of hours. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm sorry, Barbara, you okay? You awake? Give, I'm, I'm, thank y'all for doing that. We had a great time. Um, uh, BJ and Claudia Holly had given us some dance lessons, and, and so... Uh, I've danced four times in my life in public, and that, that was when my kids got married, um, and that's a reason to dance. Um, and so nobody would get out on the floor and dance, and so Claudia came up, and she said, come on, let's, let's dance. And so Claudia and I got out on the dance floor, and some of you were there, and you saw me and Claudia dance. And I, I, can, I can look like an idiot when I'm dancing, but I don't look like Fred Astaire, but I'm telling you, my hands locked in Claudia's hands and she started pushing me around the dance floor. And man, I looked like, I mean, I looked like I had years of experience because somebody who knew what they were doing was pushing me around. And literally what they knew was flowing into me because they were in control and not me. And that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit takes people who are alienated transforms them and makes them reconciled, brings people into their life who are going to come alongside of them and bring them to a place of maturity, toiling and laboring and struggling. And the invitation for you this morning is an invitation into the music of eternity, into the fellowship of the Trinity, into this dance where you don't have to figure it out. The Spirit is going to move you. And when He's dancing through you, Folks are going to be like, what in the world's going on there? Something has been changed. Something has been transformed. And so I invite you this morning to be the church. Everything that we do here is aimed at that, or we hope that it's aimed at that. From being a partner, you can come to Intro to South Point class next week, to engaging in life groups. And folks, uh, I'm asking you as someone who is, has responsibility for your soul, I, I don't want to manipulate you. Many, of you. many of you have known me for 22 years. But would you please fill out a card before you leave today? Would you just, if you're in a life group, would you fill it out? If you're not in a life group, would you fill it out? Would, would you let us plug you into a community of other believers so that, so that we can at least put forth toil and struggle to bring you to a place of maturity in Christ? Would you, would you fill out a card and get involved in a DNA? Would you get involved in the different ministries of South Point so that we can be giving life to the world? We've got food back here that we take to people, not so that we can feed their bellies, but so that we can interact with their soul. We've got a group up in McDonough that, that's, that's going every week and knocking on doors in the community. They're trying to find people that they can connect with. Their heads on a swivel. They're looking around. What is the Spirit doing? Where, where is God working? Is there somebody that I can connect with to bring them from alienation to reconciliation to spiritual maturity in Christ? We want to plant churches. We want to support missionaries. And I invite you to engage in all of that here at South Point.
this morning, this is the life of our body, but at, at the heart of it all, when you get to the heart, our desire is to see the miracle of reconciliation. Our desire is to own the ministry of proclamation. And our desire is to get in the trenches with one another and battle for transformation in your soul. And I'm inviting you, first of all, into the fellowship of the Trinity, but I'm also inviting you into this family where the Spirit is working in our hearts and lives to see you mature in Christ and to give you the opportunity to see others mature in Christ.